Can suppliers survive the automotive crisis? We'll learn more today. This is AutoLine. While General Motors and Chrysler are getting all the headlines and the government's money, their suppliers are in just as deep of a crisis. And while a lot of lip service has been paid to saving the supplier industry, there has not been a whole lot of action to make that happen. To get to the bottom of what's going on right now, my guest on today's show is Neil DeCoker, the CEO of the Original Equipment Supplier Association. The OESA is the voice of the supplier industry, and Neil is more plugged into that situation than anyone else that I know. And joining me on my journalist panel today are two journalists who cover the supplier industry. Jewel Gutwani is with the Detroit Free Press, and Tom Murphy is from Ward's Auto World. You can't build cars without suppliers to provide the parts, so if you want to know what's happening with this critical part of the industry, stay right where you are. We'll be back right after this. Visit our website for even more great content all week long. AutoLine Daily, John's Journal, podcasts, and even more. So click over and get your all-access pass to the automotive industry at AutoLineDetroit.tv. From our studios in the Motor City, this is AutoLine. Here now is John McElroy. Welcome to our discussion right now with Neil DeCoker, the CEO of the Original Equipment Suppliers Association. Neil, great to have you back here at AutoLine. Great to be back, John. And, and also joining us today is Jewel Gopwani from the Detroit Free Press. Great having you here, Jewel. Thanks so much. And Tom Murphy from Ward's Auto World, or wardsauto.com, I think is what you guys both. are really pushing these we'll days, too. Neil, let's start talking about what's going on with uh, the suppliers and the auto industry and everything like that. You guys went to Washington and said, we need $18.5 billion. And that, that's everything I read. And then the next time I pick up the paper, it says, no, you want 24 or $25 billion. What have you asked for and, and what's the latest? What's the status of your request to the government? We asked for a three parts uh, loan, which totaled $18.5 billion. The first part was a guarantee of receivables uh, from the vehicle manufacturers to the suppliers. That was $10.5 billion. And then we asked for a quick pay of those receivables so suppliers would get paid quicker. And that was $7 billion, but it's part of the $10.5 billion. If you get paid quicker, then of course you have less receivables. And that's where people got confused. And then we had $8 billion for a guarantee of direct loans to suppliers by the government from their traditional sources because uh, credit had dried up in the industry. So where'd the $24 billion figure come well, from? Well, the 7 and the 10.5 were added as opposed to recognized by people that just quickly read through the report. So they added $7 billion to the 18.5. So it's really 18 and a half. It's 18 billion. and a half. Yeah. What's, what's become, has anything become of your request? Well, uh, we submitted it on February 13th. On March 19th, uh, the uh, U.S. Treasury announced a uh, $5 billion loan program, which was two parts, the first two parts of our program. And that was a guarantee of supplier receivables from GM and Chrysler. Ford declined to participate in the program because they would have to comply with the TARP restrictions, which they didn't want to do. And uh, the second part was the quick pay, where you could actually sell your receivables back to Citibank and get paid quicker. So have suppliers gotten this money? This, as of uh, this week, 
uh, GM and Chrysler have rolled out the program, I think as of April 8th, uh, they are able to start uh, borrowing money. But remember, the receivables count from the date the program is effective in the case of uh, GM. In the case of Chrysler, they said they'd roll it back to April 1st. So as of today, there's very few days of receivables out there yet to uh, collect on. So you've gone from, from 18 billion down to three or three and a half billion in, in actual cash that's gonna get out to the supply chain for Chrysler and for GM. That doesn't seem like a whole lot of money to cover some of the issues. Is, I mean, is, is that kind of money gonna make a big difference? Uh, it will. It's, we've actually gone from ten and a half billion, the first two parts of our request, right. uh, to five billion. And our ten and a half billion was based on the amount of uh, receivables that existed in October, November of last year. Of course, with production volumes being down 52% the first quarter, uh, the amount of receivable suppliers had actually went in March to 2.4 billion from an average of 8.4 billion in last October and November. So the 5 billion does cover the size of the program that we asked for. The thing that's really missing, the big number, is the $8 billion for uh, a guarantee of direct loans to suppliers. And that would have covered the tier one, two, and three suppliers, the entire industry. Uh, Treasury has not been able to figure out a way to make that work because they don't want money to go to suppliers who uh, are not going to be there for the long term. And the industry is consolidating significantly. Ford is going from 1,600 suppliers to 750 over a period of time. GM announced a 30% reduction, which likely will be even bigger. Uh, from 1,570 suppliers to 30% less. Chrysler hasn't announced a number, but they're reducing. So how does Treasury assure that taxpayer money doesn't go to suppliers who are actually on the verge of being eliminated from the industry? And that's, that's why it went through GM and Chrysler, actually. At what point will sort of, can a supplier step in and say, I really need this. I really don't want General Motors or Chrysler to decide my fate. Um, does the supplier have that kind of option? At the present time, they do not, at least not for this part of the program. Uh, certainly, they have the option of going to their lending institutions and seeing what they can do to, to take care of themselves, as they always have in the past. But for this program, which takes taxpayer dollars, the government has basically said we want it to go to suppliers who are a part of the future, and the only way they could figure out to do that is to go through those vehicle manufacturers who award business to uh, those suppliers. But that's giving GM and Chrysler the, the, the decision who's going to survive in the supplier industry, at least amongst those that they yes, use. Yes, in the same way that they, when they award business to suppliers, you're making basically a decision who is a winner, who is a loser. And that those kind of decisions are made every day. So how long could that $5 billion last? And, how long, and then what happens once that $5 billion is gone? Uh, do the suppliers come back to Washington for more money at that point? Well, it, it, we're, we're working on several other aspects of the program. Still, the third part of the program that I've already talked about, we're looking at small business administration loans. Can we change some of the terms that would make uh, assets that's, that typical automotive suppliers have uh, more, more credible for credit lines of up to one and a half to two million dollars? Uh, we're looking at uh, various other uh, loan programs to TELF, which is not the TARP funds that we've been mm -hmm. talking about. That's uh, out of the Federal Reserve in New York. Uh, we're looking to see if we can change any of their definitions in terms of assets uh, so that that would be eligible for loans. So we're working on a variety of things to try to help suppliers uh, over a longer period of time. The thing about this program, though, is GM has been given till May 31st to either uh, 
get more money from the government or they will go into some kind of restructured, some kind of prepackaged Chapter 11 or normal Chapter 11, uh, Chrysler till April 30th. So really the length of the loan, once you go into a, a Chapter 11, the actual loan program is no longer valid. Hmm. So really, it's going to be for a fairly short period of time. Which but is doesn't that tell you they are going to bail out Chrysler? I mean, why would you give Chrysler suppliers a billion five if the company's going to go out of business at the end of the month? Why would you even give them the money? Well, I think that's the kind of logic that I like to hear because <laughs> I want them to survive, uh, just like I want General Motors to survive. And uh, we certainly hope that this was an indication that the government is planning to help those two companies restructure to become viable companies. So which bankruptcy do you think would have a more negative impact on the supply base, the GM bankruptcy or a Chrysler bankruptcy well, or I, liquidation of Chrysler? Uh, by far, GM is you know at least more than double the size of Chrysler, uh, or about double the size. So obviously, it would have a bigger impact uh, if it went into liquidation or bankruptcy than if Chrysler did. Uh, however, uh, it well. I'll stop there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and what kind of assurances would you need out of General Motors and Chrysler if there were some kind of reorganization in, in court um, for it, to, to keep uh, a, just a cascade of supplier bankruptcies from happening? The big thing there is uh, that suppliers in bankruptcy, uh, if, if your customers in bankruptcy, then they can name critical suppliers. Critical suppliers are those that you still need to have parts from in order to continue operating your assembly plants. So if, uh, if suppliers that are currently supplying parts and those parts are needed by General Motors are named critical suppliers, they will be paid for the receivables that they have outstanding and also will be sure to be paid while they're in Chapter 11 because the, the court assures that process. My sense is the supplier industry is just as much teetering on the brink as Chrysler and GM are. And, and the, the government's doling out, you know, to Tom's point, you know, $5 billion total doesn't sound like a lot. $2 billion coming out of GM, $1.5 billion five out of Chrysler. It doesn't sound like much money in this industry. It isn't. No, it isn't. Uh, but there's a billion and a half left of the $5 billion, And just by definition, if GM expands the definition of eligible suppliers, they could go all the way up to the $3.5 billion. So they're basically doing it, I think, in phases. And so there will be more of that money uh, made available. But it sounds to me like you're on the brink of maybe losing a bunch of members here. Well, we actually surveyed our members uh, a month and a half ago, and we asked them about the seriousness of their financial situation. And 31% said that they were in severe financial uh, situation or bankruptcy by by uh, the end of the second quarter of uh, 2009, and fully 61% said that if things continued at the current rate, they would be in severe financial uh, shape or in bankruptcy by the end of 2009. So fully one-third of our members are in very severe dist financial distress right now. It doesn't seem, even though they're giving it lip service, it, my impression is that Washington, the task force, doesn't seem to have fully grasped this fact or if they have grasped it, it doesn't seem like they're moving on it with any urgency. Well, uh, we're very pleased with the $5 billion we got. And, and, you know, that, and we got it before they made a decision on what to do with GM and Chrysler, which was March 19th versus waiting till early April. We're very pleased about that aspect. But I do agree that uh, they have basically said there's not an appetite in Washington for further, and they use the term bailout of the automotive industry. 
This is not a bailout. This is paying suppliers for parts already delivered and assuring that they get paid so that we can do some degree of planning and hopefully get some degree of financing for working capital loans from our traditional banking sources and so on. So I hate to use the, the hear the word bailout because that's not what it is. But you're right, it, it's extremely tight. We are learning how to uh, operate at break even or above at 60 to 70% of capacity utilization. Right now, many of us are at 50%. 80% is used to be the normal break even point. If you were above 80%, you were making pretty good money below 80 you could be in trouble. And we're learning to make that break-even point at 60 or 70%. Now what that says, the good news is, once we get through this, and all these costs have been taken out, we are going to be a lean, mean fighting machine that's very profitable and really, really Well, the automakers are. I don't see the suppliers restructuring like the automakers are. I see a number of suppliers doing a tremendous amount of restructuring just to survive. They have to as well. I mean, they have to take costs out to survive at 50-some percent capacity utilization right now. I guess what I'm talking about is getting concessions from the unions, from those that are unionized, and from going to their creditors and saying, to use the vernacular these days, everybody takes a haircut here. I, I don't see that end of it going on. It's happening, John, and the thing that's nice about being a supplier is you don't have the visibility that a General Motors or a Chrysler gets or a Ford. Uh, we're, we're doing a tremendous amount of that quietly and uh, not, not making the headlines. But but yes, it's happening. And we're using the experience of what GM and Chrysler have had to do and Ford has had to do with our unions and with our creditors and so forth to try to reorganize ourselves as well. So Neil, in, a, you know, in ordinary times, it seems like the shipping window is 45 to 60 days from the point at which a supplier ships part and then gets money back from the OEM customer to get paid. What's, what's that window like today? Is, that, is it still 45 to 60 or is it extending no, further than, than most suppliers would like? It's actually exactly the same. And uh, Bo Anderson will tell you that he's taking great pains to be exactly on time on his payments because, and, and Chrysler is trying to do the same thing. And the main reason is once you violate the contract by missing payment terms, you as a supplier have a right to change your payment terms in the contract. Or else maybe not ship parts even. That too, that's changing the, the terms of, of the relationship as well. And then you might say, hey, I want 30-day payment terms or 10-day payment terms, and that would create a cash flow crisis within those two companies that would, that would increase the rate of bankruptcy, the timing of it. And it sounds like that's happening though because suppliers are so concerned that they won't get paid. How often is that happening and what kind of reaction are suppliers getting? We are seeing uh, General Motors has continued to be very, very effective in pushing back on suppliers that, uh, wanted, that want to change payment terms. To the best of my knowledge, there's less than two dozen suppliers out of uh, nearly 1,600 in North America where GM has quick pay or where they're paying in 10 days instead of 47. And it's primarily because uh, suppliers that GM has decided to help out because of their severe financial cash flow crisis. Uh, in the case of Chrysler, there's probably more because Chrysler's situation is uh, seen to be more severe. So some suppliers uh, have changed payment terms with them, but not very many because uh, once that flow starts, there's going to be a rush on the bank and it'll take billions of dollars then additional money to, uh, to operate those businesses. If uh, GM and Chrysler are deciding which companies are going to be the winners and losers, if I'm a supplier that wants quicker pay, 
I might hold off on that request if I want some of that federal money. Actually, no. What happens is if you are not on current uh, normal payment terms, commercial terms, mm -hmm. which is the current terms and conditions that GM and Chrysler have, then you're not eligible I for see. the loan. And that's in writing. So uh, if you're on quick pay, for example, you have to get back to normal payment terms before you're eligible for this loan. Neil, the next big crisis uh, with a big tier one seems to be Delphi. I mean, uh, it, it's been in bankruptcy for three years. They, they're really struggling to try and get out of it. But uh, it, it looks pretty bleak from the, you know, just reading the tea leaves the way I, I do it. What do you think is going to happen there? Boy, it's <laughs> those tea leaves can be get pretty murky. Uh, but yeah, it, it's, uh, they are really, really struggling. They have been unable to get uh, debtor in possession financing, to get out of bankruptcy, even though the company has taken tremendous costs out and has done a terrific job uh, overall. And they've got some great operations globally. So, and and it's some great technology. Oh, great technology. Uh, my hope is that they'll f uh, find a way to get dip financing through the government as part of the overall deal with General Motors. Because as you may be aware, uh, GM has put over $11 billion into Delphi since they went into bankruptcy. And, and I'm sure the task force is telling GM, you can't go on doing this. So if they can get some uh, dip financing for Delphi to get them out of bankruptcy, that takes a tremendous burden off of General Motors. That's the optimistic view that I right. hope will happen. Right. Otherwise, it sounds to me like GM will buy, the government will give GM the money to buy what it needs from Delphi and like the steering and that. systems and so forth. So right. then if the president gets involved in the Delphi bankruptcy, then the speed at which it gets settled, uh, you know, since they talk about a two-week quick rinse process for a GM bankruptcy because the president's involved in it, I wonder if Delphi could also get kind of that, uh, you know, that turbocharged effect of, you know, Quickening yeah. the process. It's an interesting concept. I have no idea. And I've talked to people that are very familiar with this and, and law firms that do bankruptcies all the time. And there isn't anybody I've talked to that that has ever heard of a quick rinse two-week uh, <laughs> <laughs> chapter 11 For restructuring. Size yeah. of General Motors. I'm laughing only yeah. because, you know, it's, a, it's an ironic laugh. I'm not laughing at yeah. it there. But, Neil, OESA did a, a very interesting thing two years ago, I think it was, that you called the supplier jam that you did in conjunction oh, yeah. with IBM. Yeah. And some, I thought, great findings came out of that of how suppliers and automakers could work better together. And in talking to suppliers, it, it seems like not a lot's been made of that. Am I wrong or what's your viewpoint of what came out of the supplier jam? Well, we needed to improve uh, supplier uh, OEM relations uh, for sure in order to enhance uh, the ability to work together more collaboratively to take costs out at the interface between the OEM and the supplier. There's a lot of waste uh, there that could be more effectively uh, managed if we had a better relationship and had more trust and so forth. And we've demonstrated it with the relationship we have with uh, Toyota, for example, or Honda. And this was slow to be accepted, and uh, that's, that's a problem. I think we have so much on our plate uh, in the last couple of years uh, that the domestic auto industry just had trouble getting to that point of, yeah, now we've got to work on changing relationships, too. God, we're doing everything right. You know, we're working hard to do everything right, I should say. And uh, that slowed down a little bit. We also, one of the elements was that we had to change the image of the industry. What was interesting is uh, that that has been recognized globally. But in surveying the industry on a global basis, the only place where the, relationship, where the perception of the automobile industry 
uh, is not good in the general public is that the domestic automakers in the United States. In the rest of the world, the auto industry is perceived very favorably as being very strong, great employer, great technology, and so forth. And the perception here is, is in large part because we have had an industry that's been losing market share that went from 78% at the end of the 70s to today 47, 46%. And when you constantly lose market share, day in, day out, year in and year out, you're bound to have real pressure on you, financial pressure just to survive. And that's what's happened and that strains relations and, and that's where we've basically been for 20 years. Neil, if I could ask about Ford suppliers, uh, you know, in all the discussion about Chrysler suppliers and GM suppliers, we've kind of lost track of Ford. You know, it, it seems to suggest as if, uh, you know, the Ford suppliers are doing great. Um, could you kind of shed some light? How are they doing? And, and, uh, and, and do you think that they might be just as entitled to some of that federal money as, as would uh, suppliers to GM and to Chrysler? Yeah, one of the interesting things about our industry is that's different from almost any other industry is the tremendous interdependence of uh, suppliers and the vehicle manufacturers. And a good example of that is the Ford suppliers. 70% of Ford suppliers also sell to General Motors. And 65% or something like that sell to Chrysler. And uh, of those same suppliers, 35 to 40% sell to the Asian manufacturers, Toyota, Honda, Nissan in this country, and to the European uh, manufacturers. And that's why we've said if there is a failure of, of a few suppliers because of the failure of an OEM, uh, that could create havoc throughout the industry. It wouldn't just create a problem for the OEM, but it would create a problem for the entire industry. So we're very interdependent, and that's why we were able to convince government that federal help for suppliers is also necessary if you want the industry to survive as a whole. I really wonder about the tier two suppliers and the threes and the fours. It sounds like they're not eligible for the federal aid that's been that's been approved. And, and what kind of situation are they in? Will they, will they end up being paid? Will some of this money end up going to lenders? Yeah, what, what's... We, we need a little bit of a quick answer. We're, okay. We're coming down to the end. Basically, uh, we assume that if the vehicle manufacturers are stronger and the tier one, or they get money, tier ones get money, they're stronger, then they're able to pay their suppliers so it flows into to the entire supply chain. That's the primary thing that, that we're making an assumption of at this time. But, but that's just a theory, right? I mean, I'm sure the tier twos and threes go, wait a minute, don't filter it through them, give it to us immediately. Yeah, that would be the ideal thing. And that was the third part of our loan, which was that $8 billion of uh, guaranteed direct loans to suppliers. The problem is we haven't figured out a way, the government hasn't figured out a way to give that to suppliers and make sure it only goes to those that are going to be a part of the industry in the future. Well, clearly this story is still unraveling in front of us. Who knows what the future is going to bring in just the matter of coming to the end of this month. But Neil DeCoker, uh, CEO of Original Equipment Suppliers Association, thanks so much for coming on the show. Great to be here, John. Yeah. And Jewel, thank you. And Tom, thank, thank you. you as well. And I'll be back to talk to you in just a matter of moments. Visit our website for even more great content all week long. AutoLine Daily, John's Journal, podcasts, and even more. So click over and get your all-access pass to the automotive industry at AutoLineDetroit.tv. We have more of our discussion with Neil DeCoker on our website at AutoLineDetroit.tv that you can go to right now if you choose. And you can also join us again here next week when my guest will be Johan Denyschen, the head of Audi of America.
You know, I think Audi's going to be the next hot brand in the luxury segment, a development which could make life a lot tougher for BMW, Mercedes, Lexus, and Cadillac. I think you're going to want to hear the details of the strategy that Mr. Denishan is laying out to make that happen. And don't forget, if you'd like even more information of the latest news in the auto industry, check out our daily webcast at AutolineDaily.com. But that wraps up this show. For all of us here at AutoLine, thanks for watching. We'll see you right here next week. Visit our website for even more great content all week long. AutoLine Daily, John's Journal, podcasts, and even more. So click over and get your all-access pass to the automotive industry at AutoLineDetroit.tv.